here. We've got a lot of folks out tonight, and um, so uh, be in prayer. Uh, I've got two phone calls uh, this afternoon. One is from Miss Linda Craig, and they had to take Keegan and put him in an inpatient uh, mental ward with, uh, along with Gage. Uh, some of his behavioral problems and things happened this week and some issues at school. And so uh, pray for him. Uh, I don't know if a lot of our church knows a lot of the backstory of those two boys, but uh, they have, for young men, they have been through an unbelievable ordeal in their young childhood. And it's been very, very difficult for them to readjust uh, coming back into uh, having a home and having a family. Uh, they were homeless for quite a while and lived out of a vehicle and for a while up under a bridge several times. And um, for young men that age to have to be put through some of that stuff, uh, some of the things they heard and saw. And so they really struggle. Uh, so please keep them in prayer. Our hearts go out to them. And Miss Linda is just heartbroken for them. And uh, I know several of us uh, here have been praying so hard for them. Uh, Keegan has been doing uh, exceptionally well. In fact, I was just talking to Brother Keith, I think, Sunday about it, uh, just how well he's adjusted coming into the teen uh, Sunday school class over there and has been growing and asking questions. Uh, he came to my office about four weeks ago and said, how do you know that if you've been saved or not? And we got that issue settled. I believe he was saved at a younger age, but he got assurance of it that night. And um, and God's been doing some good things in his heart and his life, but uh, still struggling uh, with some of those issues. So please keep him in prayer. I asked Miss Lynn if it'd be okay to share some of that with you all tonight, and she said that would be fine so that we would know a little better how to pray. Uh, we haven't gone into a lot of the specifics, but we've tried to give a little bit of a background for you. Uh, helps us to know a little better how to pray. So if you would please uh, keep Keegan and Gage both. Uh, Gage is his older brother and uh, has uh, some mental health issues as well. And then uh, Brother Everett Scheffler went in yesterday for an MRI and uh, Miss Florence called uh, just a little bit ago and said that uh, he went through about three or four hours of sitting there at the office and going through the test and everything, getting him ready. And he is just exhausted from it. Um, she said they, she called me late this afternoon and said she, they are just not going to be able to make it tonight. And if you know Brother Everett, he does not miss. And so he's got to be really pretty bad off. And so pray uh, for them and uh, that God will... Uh, Give him some strength. Brother Everett's ready to go home, and uh, but God still has something for him here. And uh, But pray that God will strengthen him and uh, encourage him and Miss Florence tonight as well. So a couple of prayer requests there. Uh, let's, uh, if you have something you'd like for us to pray for real quickly, uh, we'll just uh, do raise your hand. We'll recognize that, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer and have our lesson tonight. Miss Linda? Yes, continue to pray for Carla. And Crystal Partney, who uh, was back at work, I'm glad to say yesterday, looking a lot better and feeling better. Still recovering some, but doing better. So that's a good thing. But continue to pray for Miss Carla, too. Miss Kimmy? Okay, Miss Mary Buckle, who also is going through some chemo treatments. I'm sorry, not chemo treatments, radiation treatments for her uh, breast cancer. Um, hers was, I think she said, stage one, and they feel, feel like they got it all. They're doing kind of precautionary treatments now to follow up, but... Uh, she's doing pretty well with it, so, but continue to pray for her. Pardon me? Right, Crystal Partney, uh, continue to pray for her. All right, Brother Larry? Okay. 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 If you have another, uh, anybody else have unspoken requests tonight besides these two? Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Twelve more unspoken prayer requests. And uh, I do. I, I know that there are times that um, some matters are of a sensitive nature, um, and we don't. We we call them unspoken prayer requests. Um, but uh, I also think sometimes, and we, I certainly don't want to push you to expose things that are of a personal nature. But I think sometimes when the Bible says bear one another's burdens, um, I, I know when I was younger, I many times it was easier for me to say I have an unspoken prayer request than to tell what the prayer request was about, even though it wasn't of a personal nature. 
And if it's something that's not really of a, something that you need to keep it private, uh, it really does help for us to know better how to pray if you do let us know those things. And I'm, again, I'm not trying to encourage you to tell us personal things, but uh, so don't get me wrong on that. But uh, let's not get in the habit of saying I've got an unspoken request when we really could tell what it is. It would help us to know a little better how to pray. And I, I think the Bible teaches very clearly we ought to be effectual in our praying and we ought to be praying fervently. And it's difficult to do that when it's an unknown request. So we'll still pray for it, but uh, it helps us to know sometimes the specifics if we're able to share those sometimes. All right, Brother David. Amen. Okay. The batteries need to be recharged. Been there before. I've been there before. Tanks on empty. So pray for Brother David, and uh, I'll talk with you a little bit further too. Maybe some things that might help a little bit with that. Okay. All right. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Oh my. Okay. Okay, and all I caught was uh, brain tumor. Was you said it was your sister? Did I get that right? Okay, I couldn't hear the first few words. I thought I might have missed that. Okay. Okay. All right. So pray for that as well. All right. Anybody else? All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father, we're so grateful and thankful for the opportunity to know that we can come to you in prayer with these burdens. And Lord, we, we do it because we have uh, need tonight and we know in our hearts because of what you told us in Scripture that you will be able to meet every need. And Lord, not only are you able to do it, but you desire to do it. And we ask that you would bless each of these requests that were mentioned tonight. And Lord, we know that you already know what they are. But yet it does us good to come to you, and I believe that's why you have commanded us to come to you in prayer, even though you already know what the needs are, so that we can rely and put our faith and our trust and cast all of our care on you. Lord, what a joy it is to our hearts to know that we have this great thing called prayer that we can come to you with. Lord, we've mentioned a lot of folks tonight that have been through some uh, physical problems and health problems. Some of them very serious and near death's door. And, Father, others that uh, are recovering and recuperating well. But, Lord, whichever of the cases there are, I pray that you would uh, touch their bodies and, Lord, heal them and strengthen them. We think of Brother Everett tonight and, Lord, just needing some strength, just uh, some energy again. And pray that you'll uh, touch his body. We think of uh, uh, Miss June's sister tonight. Lord, what a, a devastating uh, thing to find out. And we pray that you would give grace and comfort to the family and Lord that you would work a miracle in that situation be able to uh, give glory to you for the great work that you do in that and Lord I pray that you bless um, the Clark's uh, unspoken request and the others that were around the room tonight and uh, for Crystal Partney and uh, for Carla and Miss Mary Buckaloo Lord so many folks to be praying for and I pray that you would uh, touch each of them Lord pray for Brother David tonight Lord, I don't know all the details of what he's going through, but I've certainly been in the same place, and I know I, I, my heart hurts for him. I pray that you'll give him joy and strength again in his life, that he would uh, rest completely and wholly upon you. And Father, it's an easy thing to say, and it's an easy truth to even believe, but it's hard to put into practice sometimes. And I know I pray that you'd help him. And Lord, that there would be a great joy that comes and floods in his heart and his life. I pray that you would restore, and Lord, many folks, there may be others sitting in the room here that have gone through some valleys maybe in the last week or month of their life, and Lord, there may be some uh, things there. Lord, there certainly comes sorrow into all of our lives, and yet you 
promised that you'll give peace that passes understanding. You've promised that you'll give us joy unspeakable and full of glory. And Lord, I pray that you would shed abroad that light and that joy in our hearts, that peace, that you would strengthen us and encourage us. Lord, in, in just studying who you are, it just seems to cause our hearts to well up within us. And Lord, that we would uh, spend time thanking you for all that you are. And Lord, I pray that you bless the lesson tonight as we continue to uh, study the uh, basics of our Christian faith, the basic doctrines and and uh, practices of our Christian faith. And I pray that you would help us to glean from your word the truth that you would want us to, that we would rightly divide it and understand it and uh, be able to put it into good practice, that we would take heed to it in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's uh, take our books tonight, if you will. Turn to number 75, page number 75. Keep your Bibles handy. We have a lot of verses to look up tonight. And so if uh, some of you want to look a little bit ahead and uh, see what verses we're going to be looking up, they're found, I think the first ones are on page 77. And you can go ahead and start looking some of those verses up, have them ready for us. And uh, we, I don't know about you, I've enjoyed teaching this. Uh, they've been some rather lengthy lessons. I looked at the videos that we posted, and uh, two of them were over an hour long apiece by a minute or two, and so I know they've been rather lengthy uh, uh, sessions. I, I, we're going to try to cut back on some of the commenting and just uh, let the the Scripture and the book speak for themselves here as we go through, uh, but uh, this week's lesson is on our salvation, and you say, Brother Greg, I'm already saved. I know I'm saved, and that's, that's great, and that's well and good. Uh, this is to kind of help us to understand a little bit more about the salvation, and, and certainly uh, to know how we can know that we are eternally secure. And we're going to be working on that and dealing with that tonight. Last week we dealt with the topic of Jesus, just Jesus. And uh, I don't know about you, I enjoyed that study. That Jesus is God himself. And uh, boy, what a joy it was. I was listening to a man preach today. I was driving down to Glen Allen and uh, listening to a fellow preach on the radio today. And spoke about the humanity and yet the godness of Jesus in his earthly ministry and as he was here on earth. And how that in Philippians 2 it talks about him laying aside his godliness, his godness, his glory, if you will, and taking on upon himself the form of a man. Uh, the form of a servant was made in the likeness of a man. Uh, and uh, it's amazing that God would do that, isn't it? Uh, the, the, this is what's so amazing about it, is we could never lay aside our humanity to be like God so that we could have that relationship with Him, could we? But He could lay aside God and become a man so that He could have a relationship with us. And still, in all of that, He was still God. Uh, kind of makes your brain hurt a little bit thinking about it, but boy, it's exciting, isn't it? As we thought about Jesus last week. So uh, looking at it this week on page 75, uh, what a wonderful day it was in our life, the day that we trusted Jesus as our Savior. Uh, Brother David, do you have a book? Uh, Brother Keith, you want to run that one back to me real quick? we got an extra one up here in the front. Uh, that way you can follow along with us, uh, page 75. All right. In fact, you can make that your book if you'd like. Uh, that way you'll have it. Okay? All right. So what a wonderful day it was in our life, the day that we trusted Christ as our Savior. And let me just say this. Can you all remember back for a minute to that day and think about the great joy that there was? I, I don't know about you. I, man, the, the, the day I, I knelt in that office, I can still picture the chair that was there. Put my hands on the armrest. I had these little curly cue scrolls in the side. I ran my fingers through them while I was sitting there talking about it. And right after I got done praying and asking God to save me. And boy, the whole world was different. And I went to, I was in uh, seventh grade that year. And I went to, uh, I went out to uh, the time of PE, and while I was out there in PE, um, I met a friend, one of the friends that was in my class. I said, hey, Eric, are you saved? If you were to die right now, do you know you'd go to heaven? I'd never asked any of my friends that before in my life, but I wanted them to know what happened to me. And uh, he said, no, I don't know that I do. And so we knelt down there beside a tree, and he prayed and asked the Lord to uh, save him. The day after I got saved, just in telling him what happened to me. And, uh, and then the rest of the week, I wanted to, uh, they always took volunteers for people to give a, a devotion in the morning from the students. And, uh, man, all week long, every day I came in, I wanted to, I wanted to give the devotion. And uh, because there was something different in me. Uh, man, I was so excited. I could not, I, I'd gone through so many months of agonizing over the fact I wasn't saved. And now all of a sudden, that, that is gone. All that, all that is gone. 
I don't have to worry. I don't have to fret. I, I, I didn't have nightmares anymore about my family being raptured. Uh, it was gone. And I think of that little song, gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Now my soul is free and in my heart's a song. Buried in the deepest sea. Yes, that's good enough for me. I shall live eternally. Praise God. My sins are gone. And man, I was singing it and I was just rejoicing in the Lord. But can you think back to the day you got saved? If somebody asked you about the day you got saved, how would you, how would you tell them about it? Would it be something that is kind of a drudgery? Well, here's what happened. Or would we get excited about thinking about the day we got saved? Y'all remember that feeling? Maybe it's different for other people. To me, I, I couldn't get over it. I don't know that I've still gotten over it. I hope I never get over it. Amen? Uh, the psalmist said this, though, and I know this to be a fact. He said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. The psalmist. I mean, we're talking about the man who was the man after God's own heart. Said, Restore unto me. You know what that tells me? He had lost it. He had lost the joy. You don't have to raise your hand tonight, but how many of us have lost the joy somewhere in our life? I'm not saying you're going through it right now, but there's, we probably could all give testimony, couldn't we, to some degree? Oh, I, I lost it somewhere along the way. I, I, I'm th- I thank God I find it again after I lose it for a while. But, man, that's exciting. We were on our way to hell. Now we're on our way to heaven. Brother Harold came in and asked me how I was doing tonight, and I used my... My famous, my famous phrase that I got from Pastor Randy about uh, way better than I deserve. I tell people that all the time. And after I got done saying it, I said, and I'm doing well tonight, too. <laughs> and the reason I said that is because that statement doesn't necessarily mean you're doing good or bad. It just means you're better than you deserve. And by that we mean we don't, we're not on our way to hell anymore. Amen? And that's, that's a statement we can rejoice in no matter what the circumstances of life are doing to us. Amen? Are y'all excited tonight about this? You're saved. I mean, I'm not charismatic tonight, but we're saved tonight. Amen. There you go. Thank you, David. Are you catching this? It was a joyful day because a miracle happened. We were on our way to hell, and now we're on our way to heaven. The, the sins that, that we have already committed and the sins that we're going to commit are underneath the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God doesn't even see them anymore. Boy, what a joy. Remember that day? Can you remember it now? Is it a little more vivid? Think back about it. What a joy. The Bible uses rich metaphors to describe that moment. But I'll tell you this, I don't think there's anything that can describe it any better than a sinner sharing his testimony saying, this is what God did for me. We have all got that story, don't we? If you're saved tonight, you do. It may not be like my story, but you've got a story, don't you? And boy, it ought to to bring joy to your heart every time you think about it. We pass from darkness to light. Acts chapter 26, verse number 18. The Bible says to open the eyes, their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. From the power of Satan unto God. Aren't you glad of that tonight? Free at last. I'm no longer under the bondage of sin and death. But now I'm under the bondage of the Holy Spirit. And it's not a bondage. It's just the fact that, boy, I'll tell you, we ought to love Him. And want to serve Him with our hearts and our lives. We now get to walk in the Spirit, the Bible says. We've been freed from the power of Satan and unto God. And they that may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them. That are sanctified by faith that is in me. Not only were we passed from darkness to light, but we were born again. John 3, 3 says... Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You've got to be born again. We just preached on that here this last week, this last Sunday, about Nicodemus coming to Jesus. Didn't understand what it meant to be born again. 
He said, not to be born of water again, but to be born of the Spirit. Amen? Made alive. Something was quickened inside of us. The Holy Spirit came to live in us. There's something different now. 1 Peter 1, verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Amen? We've been redeemed and bought back. I love this one. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Are you getting excited yet? Man, we're saved. We're saved. We may have to sing that song in a little bit, Brother Keith. Glory, I'm saved. Glory, I'm saved. My sins are all pardoned. My guilt is all gone. You like this one? I'm adopted into God's family. Whoo, that's a good one, isn't it? Romans 8, 15. For ye are not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit, capital S, of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And I don't mean to be irreverent or to cause us not to reverence and know that He is a holy God, but the word Abba literally means Papa, Daddy. And He's not the man upstairs, and we ought not ever address Him that way in, a, in an irreverent way. But I'm glad when I pray, I can say, Now, Father, Father. I heard a testimony of a man named Tom Williams years ago. He'd get in the elevator. His wife had had meningitis and huge, huge bills being racked up financially. He was just an old cowboy and he went into the elevator and he'd push the stop button. He'd say, now, Father, it's Tom. Here's what I need. Aren't you glad you get to come to him and say, Father? What a joy. What a joy. Are you excited yet? We're saved. Amen? Amen. Amen. Don't ever get, I'll tell you, I'm so tired of the world getting all the fun. They get excited about everything, don't they? And I hope and I pray that I don't ever let the world be more excited about what they have to be excited about than we get excited about God. We're saved. We're on our way to heaven. Oh, what a Savior. In this lesson, we're going to look at some, uh, I'm sorry, back up a minute. All that took place at the moment that you called on the Lord for your Savior, as your, for your salvation. In this lesson, we're going to look at some questions you may have about your salvation. For instance, can you lose your salvation? What if you don't feel saved? I've heard people say that. Well, I didn't feel anything. And is there anything you should know, uh, do now that you are saved? So we're going to look at these three areas. As we answer these questions from the Bible, you'll see wonderful truths about the gift of salvation. Are you excited yet? All right. Hang on. Here we go. Can I lose my salvation? I love this. I love the fact that we are saved and sealed, the Bible says, under the day of redemption. And we spent a good deal of time a few Sunday nights ago as we got ready to partake of the Lord's Supper explaining that Christ is the surety of our salvation. And I'm thankful for that. Sometimes a person trusts Christ as their Savior. They begin to worry that maybe something they do wrong will make them lose the promise of eternal life. Thankfully, it is not possible to ever lose your salvation. It is not possible. And there are several reasons why. And we'll find them in Scripture. Let's look at them very quickly. First of all, God's gift is forever. When God gives a gift, it is for keeps. And the gift of salvation is the gift of eternal life. Who's got John 10, 28 to 29? Miss Sandy, go ahead. Amen. We're in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, no man can pluck them out of my hand. He says, you're in my Father's hand. He says, no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. By the way, that's another great verse to say that Jesus is God. Amen. He cannot be plucked out. I've heard preachers say, well, the Father wraps his hand around the sons. No, no, they're both God. It only takes one hand that can't be plucked from. Amen. That's all it takes. All right. Who's got the next verse? Brother Larry? John five twenty four. 
from death unto life. Amen. And uh, verily, verily means truly, truly, or surely, surely. Uh, we are passed from death unto life. Romans 6.23. Brother Keith. John 3.16. Who wants to quote that one? Reagan? Does it say temporary life? Part life? Only until you sin again? Everlasting. It lasts forever and ever and ever. Even longer than the Energizer Bunny. Amen? It is truly everlasting. All right. Our relationship is sure. When we accept Christ, we're born again into the family of God. When we become a child of God, we remain His child for all of eternity. There's nothing we can do to cause God to disown us. Um, when I was born to my mom and dad, I became their son. And from that moment on, I am always going to be their son. It does not matter what I do. If my parents come to me or came to me when I was a kid and I was getting in trouble all the time, and they said, we're going to disown you. We're going to turn you out. You'll never hear from us again. We're never going to speak to you again. It's as if you're dead to us. Guess what? I am still their son because I was born into their family. Can I tell you this? We've been born into the family of God. And we will always be His son. We've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. John chapter 6, verse 37. Miss Kimmy? Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. All right? We have a security deposit. A security deposit. Like the earnest money you may be asked to put down when you're buying a loan, uh, getting a loan to buy a house. So God has given us an earnest to assure us that He is going to follow through on giving us a home in heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 and 25. Who's got that one? 2 Corinthians 1, 22 and 25. All right, Brother Jim? Okay, in five, chapter 5 and verse 5. I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong reference there. 122 and then also chapter 5 and verse 5. All right, so we have the earnest of the Spirit. We've been purchased by God. And uh, we are sealed. All right, uh, Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. Brother Keith. Amen. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And uh, so can we lose our salvation? What's the answer? No. Not a thousand times no. And uh, again, this lesson's like last week. You'll see some other additional references in the footnotes. Feel free to look those up throughout the week. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Bible doesn't just say this one, once or twice. This says it over and over and over and over again. And... Uh, let me just say this. How many times does the Bible have to say it for it to be true? Once. All right, once. But I'm glad God continues to reiterate it, doesn't he? He knows us, doesn't he? He knows that we are creatures that will still question it. Well, I know God said it, but how many times have we heard or thought something like that? Okay, it takes one time. One time. What if I don't feel saved? What if I just I didn't have that feeling of being saved? Sometimes our emotions do not match reality. Sometimes our emotions do not match reality. So sometimes a Christian may not feel saved and thus may doubt that they ever truly were saved. God wants us to have assurance of our salvation knowing that you are His child. Not an emotional knowing, but a knowing of the heart. A peace that passeth all understanding. Uh, the assurance, the confidence of this. Uh, the Bible says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. And so we find uh, that we have a confidence in this. Um, the Bible says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We have great confidence in this. 
These are, these are nuggets of, of truth, and I, I, they're, they're cornerstones of our faith. They're, they're something we can anchor our faith to and point back to, even when Satan may try to throw doubts in our minds and say, Devil, I know it's not true, because that's what God said. And God meant what He said. And I am saved, saved, saved. Amen. Alright, we have assurance because of God's promises. God promised that anyone who calls on Him for salvation shall, not might, be saved. I heard a preacher say it this way one time. We ought to base our Christian life on the shall be's of the Bible. If it says shall be, then guess what? It shall be. It is not going to lie. Amen? Uh, so we have these great promises, exceeding great and precious promises. Uh, Romans ten thirteen. Somebody can quote that one probably, Miss Sandy. Shall be, there it is, shall be saved, all right? God who has promised to give us eternal life is a God who cannot lie. It is impossible for Him to lie. One of the things that makes Him God is the fact that He is perfect. The Bible says that He is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And I'm glad they put those last two words in there so that they could reiterate that there's not even a glimmer of darkness in Christ, in God. And so if God ever lied, you, would be, you and I would be the first to know it. Because we would cease to exist. He would quit becoming God. And guess what holds us all together? God. Guess what gives us our soul? God. Guess what keeps the world from just spinning out of control and going off into obliteration? God. He's spoken into existence, and if God ceases to exist, we cease to exist. I say we'd be the first to know it, I guess, if we cease to exist. We wouldn't know it, but there'd be nothing left. So God cannot lie. He cannot. Uh, it's part of who He is. All right. Titus chapter 1, verse number 2. Jennifer? Okay. So the Bible says He cannot lie. Not that He will not, but that He cannot. All right. We have assurance because of God's presence. As mentioned a moment ago, the moment you trusted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit took up residence in you. I'm no longer walking the way I used to walk. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm glad about that one. I am not what I used to be. I may not be what all God wants me to be yet, but I am so thankful I'm not what I used to be. Amen. And I know it's still a daily walk and a daily struggle, and all of us go through it. But God is doing a work in us every single day. You know how He's doing it? By the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Day by day by day. That still small voice, that little convicting voice that comes into the back of our minds that tells us, hey, you ought not do that. Or you ought to do this. You need to do this. That, that, that prompting of the Holy Spirit. We spoke about that Sunday night about being led by the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit. And making sure we're sensitive to that. All right, we'll see in a later lesson. I'm sorry, let's look at Romans 18, 6, 8, verse 16. The Bible uh, tells us that the Holy Spirit assures our hearts of our relationship with God. And Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It gives us this great confidence that we're the children of God. We'll see in a later lesson that the Holy Spirit also convicts us when we do wrong. Uh, and uh, so we will change that, but we can resist His voice. One of the dangers of that, however, is that if we refuse to listen to His voice con convicting us, we may find that we don't hear His voice reassuring us of our salvation. Thus, sometimes Christians doubt their salvation because they have blocked the voice of the Holy Spirit giving them assurance. In other words, they've quit being sensitive to Him. We live in a day and age that people do not know how to respond appropriately to the Holy Spirit's prompting. We now, nowadays, we uh, find people, and years ago, when, when uh, people sat in the service and they were smitten with their undone condition in their conscience and in their heart, we called it conviction. Now we call it being offended, and I'll never set foot in that church again. How dare the preacher call me out on that? And that's the problem. We're looking at the message as coming from the preacher. Can I tell you this? If he's preaching the Word of God, it's not from him. He is preaching what God said. And it ought to be bearing witness in our spirit. And that uneasiness sometimes 
that we're not doing what we're supposed to be or that we're doing something we're not supposed to be. It's just good old-fashioned conviction, and you and I ought to love that. I'm not saying it's pleasant, but we ought to be thankful that God in heaven still convicts us of our sin. It tells us that the Holy Spirit's still a-working inside. He is still doing what He's supposed to be doing. Amen? Are y'all excited yet? <laughs> Amen. I'm glad for that. I hope you're glad for that. All right, moving on. Let's see. We have a First uh, John chapter three verse twenty four, and he keepeth his commandments. Uh, he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. This is how we know that Spirit works inside of us. We have assurance because of God's love. Because of God's love. Could, could we ever express enough what God's love is like? It's incomprehensible to me. I hope to you too. I think it was the songwriter that wrote, Could we with ink the oceans fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scrolls contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless. Oh, my, if we could ever, ever understand the love of God. And by the way, I, I think it does us well to, to, to reflect on this. I think it's what we call worship. Amen. We sit down, we begin thinking about God's goodness to us. We can't help but worship him. And worship is still in the Bible. I'm not afraid of it as a Baptist. Amen. I think that there ought to be way more private worship than there ever is public worship, but I think there ought to be both. The Bible talks about going into our prayer closets. And he which seeth in secret will reward us openly. <laughs> we sang that song tonight. What a fitting song. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. We're not going to make it through this lesson. I already know. <laughs> Too much good to say about it. Amen? I love it. I love it. All right. We have assurance because of God's love. There is absolutely nothing we or any other person can do to separate us from our Heavenly Father's love. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39. Miss Joanne? Amen. Years ago, we taught our teenagers a little song. Uh, how did that verse start uh, about not being separated from the love of God? For right, Here's how it goes. For I'm persuaded to believe that you can't separate us from the wonderful love of God. From above us, He will love us if we let Him live within us while upon this earth we trod. Neither height nor depth nor principalities, things present nor things to come. And though the devil hates us, he can never separate us from the wonderful love of God. And then we'd sing it faster. For I'm persuaded to believe that you can't separate us from... And go on. But, you know, we sing these songs and they're little kid songs. Yeah, I, That's why Sunday school is so important, folks. We teach young people doctrine. And I know it's in silly songs and things sometimes, but that sticks with people. And it causes us during the dark points of our lives to think back and rejoice in what God is doing. So certainly we know that we cannot be separated from the love of God. We have assurance because of God's work in our lives. His work in our lives. When we trust Christ as our Savior, we are made a new person. Aren't you glad of that one? I, I knew the old person. It was not much. The new one's not much better, but praise God, it's better than it was. When we trust Christ as our Savior, we are made a new person. Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, verse number seventeen. Miss Jennifer. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. 
All right. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And uh, we're thankful for the new life in Christ. God begins to work in our lives in specific ways. As we see His work unfolding, we know it is the hand of God. Notice these evidences of salvation in a Christian's life. First of all, there's a hunger for the Word of God. A hunger for the Word of God. Now, I, I will tell you this. This will increase and decrease off and on throughout your Christian life. And it will usually, almost always, be affected, not necessarily by your circumstances, but by how much time we're spending with God. Um, when you start your yearly reading plan, let's say, at the beginning of the year, boy, you have New Year's resolution, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. And you read for a month, or maybe a month and a half, and then you miss a day. And boy, you remember that next day right after that? How hard it is to get right back on the schedule and, and start on it again. And so there, there ought to be a hunger for the Word of God. There's times that uh, as we... we kind of put off walking with God and spending time with God, we lose some of that desire. And again, depending on how much we're yielded to the walking with the Holy Spirit that day, may determine in a large part how much we hunger for the Word. But the Bible says in Psalm 1 that the blessed man is the man who meditates in the law day and night, the Bible says. And in this law doth he meditate day and night, uh, that uh, he desires the law of the Lord. In Psalm 119, it speaks often of how much the psalmist desired the Word of God. He desired God's statutes and His commandments and His laws. And he goes on and on and on about this stuff. His testimonies and uh, the joy that there is there. Uh, but there ought to be a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God. First Peter chapter 2, 2, the Bible says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. So we're to desire the Word of God the way that a newborn babe desires milk. Amen? And you ever seen a new baby go after milk? I used to get so tickled at my kids when it came feeding time. You put that bottle in front of them, and I mean, they'd suck the whole bottle down their throat. They were after it so much. They just couldn't wait for it. And, and you know what? We ought to be that way about God's Word. We just can't wait for it. We are ready to go when it's time. All right, growing obedience to God's commands. First John chapter 2, and verse number 3 says, And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. And by the way, the Bible says that the commandments of God are not grievous. I fear so many times that Christians uh, look at God's commands reluctantly and hesitantly and they think, well, I know the Bible says it, so I guess I have to do it. No, you don't have to. You get to. Amen? When you have the right outlook on it, it's not grievous to us. The rules are not binding upon us. There's great liberty when you know where the boundaries are. Amen? You just stay away from them. You can go anywhere inside of them you want to go. Just think if there weren't any boundaries, we wouldn't know where to go, would we? be great confusion, great anxiety. Am I really doing what God wants? I'm thankful He tells us, Thou shalt and thou shalt not. It lets me know where the great liberty is in Christ. <clears throat> so it is not grievous to us. Love for other Christians. 1 John chapter number 2, and verse number 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. As these evidences of salvation develop in our lives, from the inside out. Boy, did we talk about that here recently? Uh, was it Sunday night, I think? We talked about the whole issue of uh, the list, the danger of a list in Scripture. We, we tend to want to, like a smorgasbord, pick and choose and try to do them outwardly. They need to come from the inside and work their way out. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. I've never seen a tree really struggle and strain to try to produce fruit. It just does when it's healthy on the inside. Amen? All right, <clears throat> we have assurance because God's chastening. That sounds like a peculiar one, but boy, what assurance that gives us. The Bible says, or uh, the book here says, we will never lose our salvation because we sin, since we cannot earn our salvation by anything that we do. We cannot lose it by what we do. Uh, just as a child who disappoints their parents through something they do is still the parent's child, so the child of God who sins is still God's child. The father-child relationship is still real, but the fellowship becomes strained. I don't know about you, but when I got in trouble as a kid, and Mom said, go to your room, your dad will deal with it when he gets home, I did not want to arouse my dad's attention when he walked in the door. I did not. I wanted to stay away from him. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to make noise. I didn't want him to call my name and say, hey, Greg, come on out here. I, I wanted to hide from him. I, I did not want to be around my dad. 
But when things were good, I couldn't wait for my dad to get home. I was ready for him to come and say, hey, let's go toss the ball around out in the backyard. Let's go shoot a few baskets out in the front yard. And, uh, man, I couldn't wait for my dad to get home. Uh, so, again, when we do that with God, we don't cease to become his, from becoming his child or being his child, but we do strain the relationship, the walk there. And, uh, oh, we ought to keep, as an old preacher said years ago, you ought to keep a short account with God. Keep a short account with God that we can have that sweet, sweet walk with Him, that relationship with Him. Are we going to fail Him? Oh, you better believe it. We're still going to sin, aren't we? But uh, let's not let those back up on us without coming to God and getting those things right. Uh, The difference, I think, many times, when I look at Scripture, I look at David, and you know that David was still considered a man after God's own heart, even after all the sin he did with Bathsheba and uh, uh, killing Uriah and murdering him and, and all the things that David did that we look at and say, what in the world was he thinking? He was still considered a man after God's own heart because he was a man that when he did something wrong, he was a man of a contrite spirit. He would get in, in a place of mourning and say, God, I've failed you and put sackcloth and ashes on and say, forgive me. There's a big difference between that and some illustrations that are given in Scripture where a man does something wrong one time and God kills him. Think of Ananias and Sapphira. God knew their heart, didn't he? They lied to the Holy Spirit. I know that God used that one in particular to try to illustrate and to make a point in the book of Acts. And aren't you glad that God doesn't kill everybody that lies to the Holy Spirit? Because the truth of the matter is we'd probably all be dead. But it helps us to see how God views it anyway, doesn't it? So uh, certainly I think the big difference here is the contriteness of spirit, the repentant attitude. That's where the convicting of God's Holy Spirit I think is so important. That we not resent it, that we not get bitter at it. Uh, people, people get under conviction anymore and they get angry. They, they really do. I've watched them walk out and say, I'll never go to that church again. And I'll never go to that, hear that pastor again. And it really was nothing more than conviction. Now, I understand there's sometimes people do things wrong, and that's a whole different ballgame. But, but uh, man, I'll tell you, how many times has it just been conviction that we did not respond appropriately to? I've talked with people who said, I don't like going to church because I don't like feeling uneasy every time the invitation comes around. Well, then get it right. Get it right. You, you won't have to worry about that anymore. Uh, keep short accounts with God. It's okay for us to, it's not okay for us to just keep sinning without caring. In fact, as a loving Heavenly Father, God corrects us, and the Bible says that when we sin. And the correction is proof that we are His children. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. Miss Jennifer? Okay, so if you don't have the chastisement of God, you're not a son of God. You're not saved. Uh, the, the chastening, you know what the chastening is, the way that was worded? The Bible says, for whom the Lord loveth, then he also chasteneth. You know what God is doing when he's chasing us? In essence, he's saying, I love you. I love you. If he didn't chasten us, he wouldn't love us. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't chasten us. So the chastening is, is not something enjoyable, but can bring joy to us. You, you understand the difference there? I mean, it's not pleasant, but it can bring joy to our hearts because it's God saying, you're my child. And because I love you so much, I'm not going to let you keep doing the things you're doing. And while it's unpleasant, we can certainly take joy in it. So we seek uh, the very fact that God corrects us when we sin with the goal of restoring our fellowship with Him gives us assurance that we belong to Him. So we see God wants us not only to be saved, but to have assurance of our salvation. To have absolute confidence in our hearts that we have a sure relationship with Him. Baptism is an exciting step of obedience after you are saved because it's an outward expression of an inward decision. 
It is in no way part of your salvation. But it is one of the first ways we can demonstrate that we want to obey our Lord's commands. John chapter 15, verse number 14. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. While baptism is not part of salvation, it is an important step of obedience to Christ. By following the Lord and believers' baptism, you are obeying Christ and showing others that you are glad that He is your Savior. It is a testimony. It is a picture of being crucified with Christ in our old nature and rising to walk in newness of life. And just as Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, and rose again, we're saying that we're crucifying the old nature and burying Him, and the newness of life that's coming out is the life of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul said, uh, 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 oh, I just lost the phrase there. Uh, somebody help me out. The, uh, I'm crucified with Christ. There we go. I was trying to figure out how to start it. He said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I what? You know the verse? I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And so we're to be crucified in the old nature and rising to walk in newness of life, which is not of ourselves, but it's now with the Holy Spirit living and residing inside of us. My dad years ago used to give an illustration, uh, and I don't know if it, where he heard it from, but the illustration went like this, that a missionary had gone to some uh, tribes and had shared the gospel. And the chief of the tribe that he had been visiting uh, got saved. And he was there for a while and helped him grow a little bit in the Christian life before he left. But he had to move on to the next uh, village and was going to several different villages. And was going to be gone for a period of time. And after a while, he came back and wanted to revisit the villages. And uh, he came back to the village where the chief had gotten saved. And he asked the chief uh, how he was doing. And he said he was doing fine. And he said, how is your Christian life going? And the chief said, well, it's a real battle. He said, I feel like inside of me there's a big black dog that's always wanting to do what's wrong and to do things that I know God would not be pleased with. And a big white dog over here that wants to do what God wants and doesn't want to sin. And he said, I feel like they're fighting each other all the time. And the missionary asked him, he said, well, which one wins? And the old chief said, the one I feed the most. And boy, isn't that almost a, a true illustration of what happens on the inside of us on a daily basis? The old nature still tries to rear its ugly head up, but it ought to be crucified. Amen? I'm dead to sin. I need to be able to, to, to be freed from it. And I'm thankful that one day... God's going to take that great tempter and cast him into the bottomless pit. We're not going to have to deal with him anymore. And uh, that old sin nature will be gone. Amen? I'm looking forward to that day. All right. Uh, baptism is an identification. The Bible teaches that baptism is a symbol, an outward expression of an inward decision. In the life of every Christian, baptism is an important first step of obedience to God that declares to others your faith in Christ. Just as a wedding ring identifies a husband with his wife, baptism identifies a Christian with Christ. That identity is that Christ's death burial is with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. John chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. Somebody read that one for us. All right, Miss Sandy. Amen. Boy, I'll tell you, can I encourage you in this? When I was a kid, I had to memorize the entire chapter of Romans chapter 6. And at the time, I did it as an assignment, and, and I, I just got through it. But I'm going to tell you something. If, if you want to read one chapter in the Scripture on your knees prayerfully that will change your life, read it thoughtfully and prayerfully, Romans chapter 6. What an amazing chapter that deals with our walk. We're crucified from sin. That old man, that old nature. Oh, what a great joy it is. Baptism is your way of saying to everyone, Jesus saved me, and I am not ashamed of Him. I want to live for Him now. Baptism also identifies a Christian with the local church and its doctrine. In the New Testament, people were baptized, who were baptized were added to the church. 
uh, we require two requirements here at our church. You have to be scripturally saved, and you have to have been scripturally baptized in a church of like faith that believes the doctrine that we believe. Um, if you do not uh, follow those two things, then you're not, you, you shouldn't be on the membership roll here. You're supposed to get both those things settled. Uh, but uh, you're supposed to follow the Lord in believer's baptism, and we also we spent some time dealing with that uh, several weeks ago when I gave some history, uh, that there was a man who watched the beating of Obadiah Holmes who was literally banished from the state of Massachusetts simply because he would not bring his infant to be baptized at the state church. And people have literally given their lives even over this doctrine of believer's baptism. It's something that is to be done once we are saved. Because before that, all we did was get wet. We didn't, we didn't picture the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in our hearts. We didn't have Him. And so it's something that follows salvation and is a testimony of what's happened on the inside. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and 42. Brother Larry? All right, very good. They that uh, gladly received the word were added to the church. All right, baptism is for every Christian. Uh, I'll let you look up the references from here on out. Uh, we only have a page and a half here left to go. Let me finish the blanks for you. There are three important reasons to be baptized. Number one, Christ commands it. You see the verse there. You can read that one later. Number two, Christ was our example. And number three, believers in the Bible practiced it. Baptism should be by immersion. The word baptized literally means to plunge or to dunk. The Bible teaches that you should be baptized in water by immersion rather than by sprinkling because the baptism is a picture of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It's hard to picture that with sprinkling. Only immersion correctly pictures this. Notice the Bible examples, and again, you have a couple verses there you can look up this week when you're doing your uh, assignments. Other passages in Scripture speak of baptism, use the word buried, showing that baptism in the Bible days was understood to be by immersion. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 4 tells us this. Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 12 again alludes to this. Baptism should take place soon after salvation. In the Bible, baptism always took place right after salvation. It was an immediate and glad response of someone who found salvation and wanted to publicly identify with Jesus. Even if you were baptized before your salvation, you need to be baptized in accordance with Scripture after your salvation. Uh, again, believer's baptism. The Christian who refuses to be baptized could be compared to a wife who refuses to accept her wedding ring. How can a Christian's relationship with Christ start off right if they refuse to follow him or are ashamed of him before others? So again, we're going to come back to this whole thing. Uh, baptism does not save us. Amen? Think of the thief on the cross. He was never baptized. All right? Um, so baptized does not save us, but it ought to be one of the early steps and one of the first steps of obedience once we are saved. When a Christian is not willing to be baptized, they are missing the blessing of committing themselves to Christ through obedience and losing the testimony that they might have through public identification with Him. <coughs> Excuse me. So baptizing is an exciting step of obedience to our Savior. If you have uh, not been baptized since your salvation... Let's make plans to do so and get that matter settled. Amen? All right. Application very quickly. Salvation is the greatest gift any person has ever been given. But Satan will do everything he can to cause you to question if you're really a child of God. And boy, he will work on us on that. Amen? But we're excited about our salvation tonight, aren't we? We're saved, saved, saved. On our way to heaven. No longer on our way to hell. Settle in your own heart. The salvation is forever. Record the date or as best you can the recollection of that. Uh, you've got several things here to do. Share your testimony and your doubts if and when they arise. Uh, again, it gives you some things there to do. Publicly declare that your salvation, uh, publicly declare your salvation by being baptized. Baptism is not only not only identifies you with Christ and others, but it has a way of uh, cementing it in your own heart and the truth that Jesus has saved you forever. So our assignment this week is to try to do what we can to memorize Romans chapter eight and verse number sixteen. And then you have your daily assignments there, your daily readings and uh, uh, devotions. And so if you'll do those and work on memorizing that verse. All right?
And that'll be it for the week. Saved. Amen? If you're happy to be saved, let's stand together so we can be dismissed in prayer. <laughs> and even if you're not happy that you're saved, let's stand anyway to be dismissed in prayer. Hopefully you're saved and excited about it tonight. Amen. Let's pray.